0: At long last, there was land in sight. After a grueling two-month journey across the Atlantic, the passengers of the Mayflower had arrived at what would one day be called Plymouth Rock in present-day Massachusetts. Miraculously, only one person, a youth named William Button, had perished on the voyage, a rarity as far as long sailing voyages were concerned. No sooner had the 102 men, women, and children disembarked from the ship did they go about setting up shop. Their goal was to establish a colony wherein they could practice their faith in safety, away from the prying eyes of the English government, which had passed an ordinance several years before banning all Christian sects but the newly established Protestant Church of England. These people, known to posterity as the Pilgrims, were Puritan separatists, meaning that they were one of two sects of English Protestants who wished to break away from the Church's strict doctrine. Had they stayed in England, they'd face ridicule, persecution, or even death for their beliefs, meaning that the only way they could survive was to place themselves in voluntary exile. Thus the New World was their only salvation, and though it was a perilous journey, and an even rougher start, their efforts eventually took hold, with Plymouth becoming one of the first colonies in North America in which religious freedom was the primary goal. But as you already know, the Pilgrims weren't the first inhabitants to set foot on this virgin territory. In fact, the area had been home to one Native American tribe, the Wampanoag, since the end of the Ice Age. Both parties, that is, Pilgrims and Wampanoag, therefore approached each other with caution at first, uncertain of what the other would do. However, after several negotiations, they were able to establish relatively peaceful relations, the like of which had become legendary in American history, and spawning the Thanksgiving holiday we know today but what was this first thanksgiving like who was in attendance and are there any traces left of the original holiday in the present observance i'm chester sakamoto your host and welcome to the history loves company podcast because history is shaped by all of us the holiday americans know today is thanksgiving though it traces its origins back to the original celebration at plymouth colony actually arose during the civil war then president abraham lincoln in an attempt to unite the country during the conflict and boost morale issued a proclamation in eighteen sixty three declaring the last thursday in november a day of celebration in which to commemorate the first thanksgiving way back in sixteen twenty one The idea had sprung from the mind of one Sarah Joseph Hale, a writer best known for the nursery rhyme Mary Had a Little Lamb, who, upon reading the diary of the colony's governor, William Bradford, had urged the sitting president to officially recognize the importance and significance of this historic event. Though the date bounced around in successive presidencies, by the Ulysses Grant administration, it had been solidified to the last Thursday in November, as it's still celebrated today. But this still doesn't answer the question, what was the first Thanksgiving like? Much of what we know stems from one eyewitness account, that of Edward Winslow, who, in a letter penned in December of 1621, recalled the event in great detail. It's thanks to this account that we know that the first Thanksgiving did not, in fact, take place on the last Thursday in November, as President Lincoln's proclamation had established, but over the course of three days sometime between late September and mid-November of 1621. In short, it was an event that coincided with the harvest, and celebrated a particularly successful and bountiful one at that. It included feasting, games, and military exercises, says Tom Begley, executive liaison of administration, research, and special projects at the Plymouth Patuxet Museums in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And there was definitely a fair amount of diplomacy between the colonists and the native attendees as well. Of the initial 102 colonists and 30 crewmen who had comprised Plymouth Colony, Some 50 are believed to have been in attendance at the feast, including Winslow himself, as well as his wife, 21 other men and three other married women, and some 25 children and teenagers. These lucky few were all who were left when, after the winter of 1620, their first in the New World, an epidemic spread through the colony, wiping out a sizable chunk of the population. In addition, the unspeakably cold conditions had killed a handful of others. As such, this Thanksgiving feast wasn't just to mark a plentiful harvest, but, as Tom Begley points out, quote, celebrating the fact that they had survived their first year in New England, unquote, With such a dramatic decrease in their population, it's believed that the pilgrims were likely outnumbered by their indigenous guests, the latter of whose kindness, generosity, and compassion had single-handedly saved the remaining colonists from starvation. It was one man in particular, Tisquantum, better known as Squanto, who taught them how to sow local crops, as their own had largely failed, as well as introduced them to the extensive fur trading network that had been established throughout what is now the northeastern United States. As he was fluent in English, Squanto spent a good 20 months in Plymouth Colony, where he served as interpreter and an ambassador of sorts between them and the local Native American tribes. His own tribe, the Patuxet, had been wiped out by illness two years prior, at which time he was quote unquote, adopted into Wampanoag society under the rule of Chief Massasoit. While Massasoit was initially skeptical about dealing with the strange people who had come from across the ocean, Squanto ultimately convinced him to aid them thanks to his efforts the wampanoag also helped the pilgrims grow their own food solidifying the shaky foundations upon which they built their colony due to their involvement in plymouth colony's survival we know that the wampanoag were the primary indigenous presence at the first thanksgiving feast Winslow recalls in his letter how, quote, Many of the Indians came amongst us, and amongst the rest their greatest king, Massasoit, with some 90 men, unquote. Native American historians have backed up this claim, stating that it was customary for the Wampanoag to make their diplomatic rounds to other tribes following the harvest. As such, their place at the pilgrim's table was no coincidence, with the feast presenting an opportunity for both parties to further strengthen their ties. It's important to note that the first Thanksgiving did not actually go by that name. In fact, it didn't have a name at all. It was simply a celebratory feast. The sentiment, however, was definitely there. After all, the concept of giving thanks played an integral part in both cultures. For the English, before and after every meal, there was a prayer of thanksgiving, Tom Begley states. For something on this scale, celebrating a successful harvest, there definitely would have been moments of giving thanks to their god. The same went for the Wampanoag guests. We as native people traditionally have thanksgivings as a daily ongoing thing, the Plymouth and Patuxet Museum's former associate director of the Wampanoag program, Linda Coombs, said in an article for the Christian Science Monitor. Every time anybody went hunting or fishing or picked a plant, they would offer a prayer or acknowledgement. Such was the magic of the first Thanksgiving, that two disparate groups from vastly different cultural backgrounds could enjoy each other's company and share the rewards of their labors. And what exactly were the fruits of said labors? In contemporary times, Thanksgiving has a specific list of dishes tied to it that have since become synonymous with the holiday. Turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes, assorted vegetables, green bean casserole, pumpkin pie, the works. But the fare prepared and served at this historic feast was quite different. There's some evidence to believe that wild turkey was consumed, as they were plentiful in the colony and its environs, but no one knows for certain. Instead, Winslow describes in his letter how the Wampanoag brought five slain deer to the occasion, providing enough venison for everyone in attendance. Fish and shellfish were yet another meat source, the like of which could easily be caught in the surrounding bodies of both fresh and salt water. As far as legumes were concerned, various types of fruit and vegetables were served, which Begley lists as, quote, cabbage, carrots, cucumbers, leeks lettuce, parsnips, and pumpkins, unquote, among others. Each of these were grown in the pilgrim's own gardens, while others, namely garlic, artichoke, grapes, walnuts, chestnuts, and cranberries, grew wild in the surrounding region and were carefully picked and gathered with the Wampanoag's guidance and help. Potatoes, which had been a Thanksgiving staple, were still largely confined to South America, where civilizations like the Inca had cultivated them for centuries. As for pumpkin pie, That was an impossibility, as wheat flour, butter, and even ovens were unavailable to them at the time. Though a humble celebration, the first Thanksgiving was a large, as well as impressionable enough affair, that it was recorded by a few people who had been there to experience it. There was, of course, Edward Winslow's highly informative letter, as well as an account made some 20 years after the fact by Plymouth Colony's first governor, William Bradford. Though both sources provide a significant amount of information regarding the initial feast, There's little to no evidence to indicate that it became an annual tradition amongst the pilgrims. However, by the late 17th century, celebrations to mark the end of the harvest had become commonplace throughout New England. But it would be another two centuries before the importance of the first Thanksgiving was finally realized. In 1841, a writer named Alexander Young penned an historic account on the lives and times of the Pilgrims. Heavily influenced and inspired by Winslow's letter, Chronicle of the Pilgrim Fathers brought America's past vividly to life and brought about an interest in the country's earliest days. Though this was a tentative first step, it would take a great deal more to make Thanksgiving a federally recognized holiday. That responsibility would fall onto the shoulders of yet another writer, the aforementioned Sarah Josepha Hale. In the 1850s, she read Governor William Bradford's account. Realizing the significance of the first Thanksgiving, she launched a campaign in which she petitioned to have it become a national holiday. Finally, in 1863, at the height of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation marking the final Thursday of November as Thanksgiving Day from there on out. His reason for doing this, according to many historians, was to unite the country and boost morale during the conflict. As such, no matter the socio-political climate, the holiday continues to be seen as one of comfort, unity, and above all, brotherhood. It is, in the eyes of yours truly, one of the most important American holidays, one that too often gets overlooked. This year marks exactly four centuries since that fateful first Thanksgiving. As we sit down to our feasts with friends, family, and other loved ones, let us pause to reflect on that historic moment when two very different peoples from vastly different backgrounds sat down and dined together in the spirit of brotherhood. To me, there's something quintessentially American about that, for it shows how we all have the ability to see past our differences and unite. It's by no means a walk in the park, as 245 years of history has proven time and again, but it can be done. It is possible this thanksgiving more than any other let's celebrate in the spirit of those selfsame pilgrims and native americans and mark the holiday with love kindness and above all unity Thanks for listening, and a very happy Thanksgiving next week to all my American listeners. I hope this episode shined a light on the history of the holiday and the reasons as to why we celebrate it. It truly is a remarkable occasion and one of my personal favorites of the year. What will you be doing to mark the occasion? Give me a follow on Instagram and let me know at History Loves Company. That's history underscore loves underscore company. If you like the content I create and would like to support me to ensure future episodes, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Just visit me at anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button, which will redirect you to three support plans that fit your budget and monetary needs. Listening and sharing also help me in a big way, so please do so wherever you listen to your podcasts. Next week, of course, is Thanksgiving, but I'll be back the following week with another informative episode of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time.